A few years ago, I read a story about a couple little boys in Kentucky who were playing basketball out on the court when a Rottweiler began to attack one little boy. The other boy who was playing was quick with his wit, and he reached out, he pulled a board off of the fence, stuck it in the collar of the dog, and twisted it until it broke the dog's neck before it could attack, bite the little boy. A local newspaper reporter was there and began riding on his pad. He went up and approached the little boy. He rolled on his pad. He said, young wildcat fan saves friend from vicious dog attack. And the little boy said, but I'm not a wildcat fan. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. We're in Kentucky. I thought everybody in Kentucky was a wildcat fan. So he begins to change. He goes, young cardinal fan saves best friend from dog attack. He goes, but I'm not a Cardinal fan either. He says, wait a minute, we're in Kentucky. You're either a, a, a Kentucky fan or a Louisville fan. What fan are you? He goes, I'm a Tennessee volunteer fan. <laughs> and so the, the guy takes the news, takes an article, flips it over, he says, he says, young redneck hoodlum kills family pet. <laughs> Here's the thing. We all come to stories with a certain bias. We all come to stories with a preconceived idea or this, these selective opinions or biases of that story. And so we bring those opinions and we bring those biases into the story. Today, for instance, is Easter. Uh, some people look at this as a day for Easter bunnies and Easter eggs. Others will look at this as a day when, when we get to have family, food, and friends, not necessarily that order. Uh, and they look at that. Then there will be others who say, this is a day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the day we do it. So, but what is it that we exactly celebrate on this day? Uh, what is it that we celebrate on Easter Sunday? Because you'd be surprised how many people do not know exactly what they are celebrating. Uh, they do not understand this idea of a resurrection from the dead because it defies human understanding. It defies logic. It does not make sense. It defies scientific fact. I myself have never seen somebody raised from the dead. I've seen people resuscitated, but I've never seen anybody raised from the dead after three days. Never seen it. And so we bring into this, this idea of Easter and of a resurrection of, of certain bias, certain opinions about it. According to a recent Rasmussen study, 2013, 64% of Americans believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 64%. Now, of that 64% that do believe, not all of them believe in a physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believe in a spiritual resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you may think that is strange about this spiritual and physical resurrection. But even in our local schools, our local Baptist schools and our seminaries, there are still professors teaching that there was a spiritual resurrection and not a physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is pivotal. This is something we have got to get our arms around. We have to understand about this resurrection of Jesus Christ. This truth is pivotal. Jesus Christ was physically raised from the dead. This is pivotal. This is foundational 101, Christianity 101. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I believe chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Uh, we could probably preach seven, eight, nine, nine weeks on this one passage, if not longer, because Paul really talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What I want to do is I want to give you 
three reasons that you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at the end of that, I want to give you just one quick application of why that is so important for you and I today and for everyone who's not here. So let's go ahead and read this passage under the heading, We Can Believe the Resurrection. Paul writes, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. Three reasons. The first is, we can believe the resurrection because the testimony of the Scriptures. In verses 1 and 2, Paul talks about the gospel he preached. Even though some did not believe it, he reinforces this truth. Look at what he says in this passage. He says, by this gospel you are saved. He said, this is what we preached. But even though he preached that, some did not accept it. Some didn't understand this fundamental truth. So Paul goes into verse 3 and he says, hey, look, I didn't invent it. I didn't make this thing up. This is something that, that I received that was passed on to me and I pass it on to you. And then in verses 3 and 4, he gives three essentials to the gospel message. He says, Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised again. That is the gospel in a nutshell. He died, he was buried, and he was raised again. That's the gospel in a nutshell. You ever lead somebody to Christ to take them to that passage that explains it very clearly. But there were many that could not believe this idea of the resurrection. They struggled with this concept. So Paul goes back and says, you can believe it. Why? Because of the testimony of the Scriptures. Paul points to the Old Testament. Look at what he says. He says, Christ died for our sins. That word for, Christ died in the place of our sins. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He goes on and says, and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul's going back into Hebrew thought. He's going back into the Old Testament and saying it's all verified in the Old Testament. He points to the, the Hebrew Bible of the day to reinforce the truth of the resurrection. So why is this important? Because many people could accept the death of Jesus Christ. They'd seen people die before. They could accept the death of Jesus Christ. But when Paul starts talking about somebody being raised from the dead, physically being raised from the dead, they said, we don't understand that. We can't grasp that. We can't believe that. We've never seen that. It defies human logic. It goes against the laws of nature. Listen, when a person is dead, they are dead. This is what they were wrestling with. 
This was the idea that they were struggling with. So they could accept the spiritual resurrection. Okay, well, his spirit was raised, but nothing else. But for Paul, it was vital that the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ be accepted to truly embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying that's ridiculous. Uh, who's ever heard of such thing? We've been raised at earth. Last night, my daughter came home after watching a movie called The Case for Christ. And, you know, she's tw almost 22 years old. She says, you know, I, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine people not believing in Christ. I can't imagine people not believing in the resurrection. She says, that makes sense to me. I said, it's because you've been raised in that environment. What you know. But these were individuals that were not raised in that environment. They did not know. And so we might think it's ridiculous that people wouldn't believe it. But consider the implications of this if they're denying the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. What they're really doing is denying the deity of Jesus Christ. And they're denying the deity of Jesus Christ. They're saying Jesus was just a good man. They're denying his deity, but they're also denying the claims that the Bible makes about Jesus. And if they're denying Jesus Christ as deity, if they're denying Jesus Christ as God, they're basically saying that Jesus has no power to save you from the sins that capture your body, that capture your life. He has no power to do it whatsoever. So this physical resurrection is, is essential. So Paul defends it. He says, look, he said, this was proven in the Old Testament. This is not the first time that... that Somebody has used the Old Testament to defend the resurrection. Turning your Bibles real quick to John chapter 20, verses 8 through 9. As you're turning there, uh, let me tell you the story. This is the first Easter Sunday that's happening. Mary Magdalene and some of the women had, had went to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday to prepare the body of Jesus, to anoint the body of Jesus. And when they got there, the stone had been rolled away and, and they were told that Jesus had been risen. So Mary Magdalene runs back to the disciples and she talks to the disciples and said, he's risen, he's not there. They were a little skeptical, but Peter and John ran to the, ran to the tomb to investigate this strange phenomenon. The Bible says that John arrived ahead of Peter because John was younger, he was faster. He got there first, but he didn't enter in. He allowed Peter, the, the mature disciple, the, the kind of unofficial spokesman of the group, he allowed him to go in. And then the Bible says, after Peter had went in, look at what it says in chapter 20, verses 8 and 9. Finally, the other disciple, talking about John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and he believed. But then John adds a parenthetical statement. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. This passage teaches us something very vital in understanding this idea of the resurrection. The disciples believed long before the Scripture reinforced their belief. They accepted it even though they did not understand it. That would come later as they spent time with the resurrected Jesus. He would teach them what it all means in relation to the Scripture. Turn over a few pages to your left to uh, John chapter, uh, to Luke, I'm sorry. I was already in John. To Luke chapter 24. And as you're turning to Luke chapter 24, let me tell you the story. Two disciples were walking on the road. We know them as the Emmaus disciples they were walking on the road and they were talking 
uh, about what had just transpired in Jerusalem about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus appeared before them and was walking alongside them, but they did not recognize him. So they started talking to this Jesus, the stranger, about what had taken. And when they got to the resurrection, Jesus said this in verse 25, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. After Jesus left, look at verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Again, they were believing in the resurrection, but they didn't quite understand it until Jesus took the scripture and told them, this is what you're believing. This is what it's all about. This is verified. You see, even the disciples believed, but they didn't quite understand exactly what they were believing. So Paul says, everything I'm telling you is in the scriptures. Now, he doesn't tell us what those scriptures are. But perhaps he could have used Psalm 16, verse 10, when David says, You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Or perhaps he could have used Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, when the prophet says, After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. He could have used other passages as well from the Old Testament. But what Paul was trying to say was that God fulfilled his promise to raise his promised Savior, and he did so in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I didn't invent the resurrection. It was in the prophecies. It was in the Bible. It was in the Old Testament. It's not anything I made up, but it was passed down to me. Now I'm passing it down to you. Listen, without the resurrection, Scripture couldn't be fulfilled. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. The cross provided forgiveness of sins. It, it, promised us, it, it promised us forgiveness of sins from everything we've done. But the resurrection validates what Jesus did on the cross. It validates it. So the resurrection is essential to the gospel message. You cannot have the cross without the resurrection. You can't. It doesn't work. As a matter of fact, let me be so bold. You cannot be saved without believing in a physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved. Romans 10 verse 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you hear that? Amen. Two parts. You got to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you got to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. You can't say, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, but I do not believe he was raised from the dead. That's an anathema. It doesn't work that way. You cannot be saved without believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. But guess what? We can believe it because it's recorded for us in the Scriptures. Second reason, we can believe the resurrection because of the testimony of eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses are always important to validate a story. Testimony is always important to validate something. Several years ago, there was a homicide trial in uh, New York, and uh, the, the, um, 
the prosecuting attorney had laid out the case and had this person on the stand that had testified that I saw the individual dead on the concrete. So the defense attorney rises to the, to the stand and he's going to try to break down the testimony of this witness. And so he asked the witness, he goes, excuse me, sir, uh, are you a doctor? He goes, no, I'm not a doctor. He said, are you a paramedic? He said, no, I'm not a paramedic. He said, have you ever been to medical school or trained in medicine? He says, no, never, never been to medical or trained in medicine. He said, so how do you know that the deceased was dead on the concrete? And the guy said, well, I went to his funeral. Paul says there were many eyewitnesses on that day. Many eyewitnesses could testify. Look at what he says in verses 5 through 8. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul says he appeared to many individuals. He singles out some. He says, Peter. Then he appeared to the 12. And then he appeared to over 500 of the brothers. He goes, some of these people are still alive, though some have passed away. But, 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 but you, can, you, can, you can talk to these individuals. And the thing about having so many witnesses in the situation, you know, witnesses can disagree on some details. Uh, that, 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 that could be true. But when you have, have so many witnesses that are over and over and over, they verify the same thing, that Jesus was physically raised from the dead, it, leads, it gives credibility to the story. Even though there may be some differences, nuances here and there, they all say he was risen from the dead physically. The reason it's so important that Paul singles out all these individuals is because on no other occasion could such a number of people testify to the fact of the resurrection. And they had confidence in, in, in this testimony that could be provided. Paul is saying, listen, these people are still alive. You can go talk to them yourself. They can be interrogated. And upon interrogation, you can find out that the resurrection is true. But he not only talks about Peter, and he talks about, about the 12, he, he mentions 500, he, he finally comes back and, and he talks about James, and then he talks about the other apostles, and then he says, finally, he appeared to me as well. Is there, is there any way that so many could agree on such a story unless it was the truth? Is there any way that that could happen? Paul's saying, listen, you should believe the resurrection because of the testimony of the eyewitnesses, if for no other reason. So let's consider the facts before us. What is it that we, we, we can consider here? There's basically three views of the resurrection. The first is that the early witnesses were mistaken. They only thought that Jesus was physically raised from the dead. The second idea is that it was a deliberate lie that the, the apostles, that the disciples fabricated uh, to kind of save face or, or, or to provide a basis for the message. The third truth is that it really happened that Jesus, who was dead on Friday, was alive on Sunday. Now, to accept the first viewpoint has some problems. Because if that was true, that they were overcome of grief and that Jesus Christ really did die, then all the, uh, you know, had not raised from the dead, all the religious leaders had to do was take him to the tomb. 
and, and pour them to the tomb. They couldn't do that. Why? Because the body wasn't there. So uh, th that, first, that first one, that's gone. So that leads credibility to the second one. Maybe the disciples stole the body. They stole the body so they could fabricate this, this, one, this lie to get people, to manipulate people uh, to believe what they wanted. Well, at first you got to get past this fact that, that they would have had to over, you know, fishermen would have had to overpower the guards. That, that kind of defies logic. It's kind of like me trying to overtake, what was that guy said, SEAL Team 6. Uh, not going to happen. Not going to happen, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's not going to do that. So, but, but here's even a greater truth. History has proven that people will die for something they believe is a truth. But people will not die for something they know is a lie. You see, there's a difference between a hypocrite and a martyr. There's a difference. A martyr knows it's true, and he will give his life for that. All the disciples gave their life for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, except for John, who lived in exile on Patmos the rest of his life. He died an old man. But all the other disciples gave their life. That leads us to only the third option. Jesus Christ did indeed die on Friday. He was buried, and he was raised to life physically on a Sunday. That's the only one. And that's what history bears out. That's what testimony bears out. I do not understand why people cannot accept history. It's a historical fact. Just because you didn't see it. Listen, I didn't ever see Socrates or, or, or Aristotle or Plato. I didn't see them alive. I didn't see Virgil write those great, those great things. But guess what? I still believe it. I wasn't there. Why do I throw, throw doubt upon historical, the historical veracity of the Scripture? Paul says, you can believe this. You can believe it because of the testimony of eyewitnesses. Finally, we come to the last one. We can believe the resurrection because of the testimony of changed lives. Paul anticipated there would be people that would not believe the Scriptures. Sounds like he's living in the 21st century. He, he believes, he, he understands that there might be people that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, un, wouldn't believe the testimony of of eyewitnesses. So he then makes his most powerful argument. In verse 7, he mentions uh, James. He said, then he appeared to James. Who is this James that he's talking about? James is significant because in John chapter 7, verse 5, we'll see that James was not a believer in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you examine the New Testament, the Gospels, it says that James and his family was embarrassed about Jesus. They thought he was crazy. They were embarrassed. But something happened that now James was willing to stand up for Jesus. James uh, eventually be became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And, the, and history tells us that he was put to death in 60 AD for his faith in Jesus Christ. What else could attest to the change of James than the presence of the risen Savior? What else could do that? Finally, Paul mentions himself. Paul says, he finally appeared to me. What happened to Paul? Paul was the most hated individual in the New Testament, in the New Testament times. He was a guy that went around persecuting the church. He's, he went around killing Christians and putting other Christians in jail. Anything he could do to stamp out Christianity, Paul was doing it. 
But what happened to Paul? Paul had an encounter with the risen Savior on the road to Damascus. And it changed his life forever. And the fact of the matter is, as you examine the Scripture, all those who discovered the empty tomb and trusted in Jesus Christ had their lives changed. Every one of them. And that change is still evident today. People may doubt Scripture. People may doubt the, the eyewitnesses. But listen, my friends, people cannot challenge the testimony of a changed life. They can't do it. They have no, no, no justification of understanding that. I'm thinking of a story in John chapter 9. Jesus heals a blind man. He'd been blind for all of his life. They even brought the parents and said, is this your son? Yeah, this is our son. You can ask him everything. And so they began challenging this man and what he, what he believed about Jesus. They even accused him of being a faker. He really wasn't blind. And then they went to the next level and said, well, Jesus is a sinner. And, and I love what the man said. He said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. See, they couldn't refute that. They couldn't challenge that testimony. And it's the same as for today. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, hear these words. There are still going to be people out there who are going to refuse the Scriptures. They're going to refuse them. They're, they're going to have some intellectual hang-up. There will be people out there that will reject the, the, uh, the eyewitness account. However, they will not be able to challenge your changed life. They can't do it. They have no argument against that. Why is this so important? Why is this such an important thing for us? Paul tells us in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians. By this gospel you are saved. What's the gospel? That Jesus died on a Friday... He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised to life, and he lives today in heaven right now. And someday, my friends, he is coming back. And the Bible says that he would gather to himself all those who have believed. Believed what? Believed that he died on a Friday, he was buried, and he was raised to life on the third day. If you do not believe that, guess what? Jesus ain't coming for you. Whether that's at your death, when you die and Jesus allows you to be in his presence, or when Jesus comes in all of his glory with the angels and the trumpet will sound. And it says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. After that, we who are left behind will join him in all that. And there we will spend eternity with Jesus. He said, by this gospel, you are saved. What about you? Where do you stand today? I didn't ask if you believed in the church. Matter of fact, I never even asked if you were a member of a church. So you could have your role on the church, but is your name on the role up there? That's the difference. I'm telling you, folks, church does not save you. There is no salvation inside the church. There's only salvation found in Jesus Christ. Now, once Jesus saves you, he puts you in the church. But that's another sermon for another day. Where do you stand today? In a moment, we're going to have a, a time of invitation. Uh, we're still one of those old-time Baptist churches that we actually ask people to make a commitment. We actually ask people to come forward and say, you know, I need Jesus in my life. For some of you, you need a Savior. 
You need a, a Savior like, not like Jesus. You need Jesus who died on a Friday, was buried, and rose again on the third day. That's why we're here today. Some of you need that Jesus. For others of you, you need a church home. I have lots of visitors here. You hear visiting families and stuff like that. You know, I don't really care. I want to know, do you have a church home? A church home that preaches the gospel, preaches the word of God, and asks you to believe it. And calls you and ha tries to hold you accountable to what we teach. Some of you need a church home. Doesn't matter where you're coming from. We can tell you how to be a part of this fellowship of believers. I kind of like this church. It's a pretty good church. And if you're not a part of it, you don't know what you're missing. God is doing, I believe God is showing himself in signs and wonders. Things that we did not even pursue, God is saying, hey, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? And I believe God has said, you'll be faithful in small things. I'll let you be faithful in larger things. God is doing amazing things in our church. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of this body of believers. Maybe it's just a matter of recommitting your life. You believe in Jesus, but you've kind of lived your life kind of as you want to live it and not as Jesus wants you to live it. The Bible says if you love Jesus, guess what? You obey him. You obey him. How you doing in your obedience factor? Won't you stand with me? Kip's going to come and lead us. Marilyn Cassie going to come and play. This is an opportunity for you to respond right where you're sitting or I'll be here at the front. Marcy's going to come down and maybe you want to pray with a woman. You want to talk with a lady. Josh is going to be over here. Maybe you want to talk to Josh. I'll be here as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.